So I don't know about you, but the amount of kind of personal mail that I get at this time of the year increases quite dramatically um, as I start to get Christmas cards in from friends and family, um, some of whom I won't have seen for, for a year or more. It makes a difference from the bills coming in, that's for sure. Um, but how many of these cards have greetings of peace? Um, we wish you a peaceful Christmas and a happy new year. It's something that we wish each other, but have you ever wondered what it really means and how we get this peace? So we're doing a bit of a mini-series at the moment, looking at the advent of Jesus. Um, And so I'm going to be looking at this message of peace that's brought by the angels, um, that we hear about and read about in Luke's Gospel. And Luke, when he's writing, he's writing to a non-Jewish audience. Um, So people people like us um, in particular. He's a medical doctor. So he's writing from a very well-researched, um, eyewitnessed accounts of, of um, people that had, had met Jesus and engaged at the time. And he focuses on Jesus' humanity as, a, as the perfect man and of highlighting his feelings and his concern uh, for those who are on the margins. So we're going to transport our minds back 2,000 years and listen to the message that the angels bring. So this is from Luke chapter 2. Um, verses 8 to 15. And if you were here last week, you probably heard it then as well. Um, So, there were angels living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, last week when we had our carol service, Mark very helpfully talked us through the shepherd's story. Um, So I'm not going to be repeating that, but instead I want to look at this idea of peace and the peace that the angels sing of and talk about peace for those on earth on whom the Lord's favor rests. And to do this, I'm going to be dipping around and jumping around into different bits of scripture as we go, some of which will be on the screen, some of it won't. Um, So if you don't catch everything and you want to kind of um, ask me what some of the references are afterwards, then very happy to do that. Um, But I just want to get us a a sense of, and we're going to be jumping around New Testament, Old Testament, um, looking at this, this idea of peace. So what do we mean by peace when we talk about, when we hear that, that phrase that the angels um, declared and sung, that there would be peace on those on whom God's favour rests? Well, in English, the word peace kind of conjures up a bit of a, a passive image, um, maybe of an absence of conflict or um, hostilities, uh, maybe between nations, uh, maybe within nations, um, or maybe people that are free from that kind of internal or external strife in their life who are kind of calm and um, haven't got any of that going on. But the biblical concept of peace is much, much larger than that. 
The word peace in our Bibles most often comes from a um, Hebrew word, shalom, um, or in the New Testament, and I've got the Greek scholar over here, um, but the word irene, um, and both of these refer to peace um, as, um, kind of, well, the shalom has influenced the meaning of irene as well. So um, when we hear the word peace in our Bibles, most often it's talking about a state of national tranquility, so nations aren't, aren't fighting against nations, of a right relationship and a harmony between individuals, of wholeness of life and body, of health and security, of safety and prosperity. Um, but it also speaks of the Messiah's peace, of salvation that we have through the work of Jesus on the cross. And it speaks, too, of this sense of um, what it means to be a Christian, to have the tranquil state of our soul assured of its salvation through Christ so that we fear nothing from God um, and we learn to be content in what we have. These words, Irene and Shalom, they're mentioned over 300 times in the Bible, um, just under 100 times in the New Testament and about 130 times in the Old Testament. And when we look at the story of creation, right back in Genesis, we read of the relationship between man, between Adam and Eve, um, and between God. And he's made man, he's made us, to be an image bearer of God. He gave them life through his very breath. And they were given purpose and responsibility. But their work at that stage was not toil, it wasn't difficult, and their food was provided for. They were naked and vulnerable, and they had no sense of shame. And the barriers, there were no barriers between them and God. They experienced this perfect relationship with God, and they were at peace, and they enjoyed the shalom. But sin entered the world when they disobeyed God, and their eyes were both opened. And they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They hid from God, not wanting him to find them or see them. And they experienced shame for the first time, and blame, and guilt. And they were no longer at that perfect peace with God. But God's amazing, and he put in place right there in Genesis 3, his plan to bring reconciliation and restoration to that broken relationship between him and man. And according to the um, New York pastor, Tim Keller, shalom is one of the key words for salvation in the Bible. And it's multidimensional. It looks at and it speaks to our physical peace, our psychological, social, as well as spiritual. But there's a price for this shalom, this plan that God had to bring reconciliation and restoration. And that's the cross where Jesus took the wrath of God that we were due as a result of our sin upon himself, so that we, who are united to him by faith, receive his blessing of peace that was proclaimed by the angels. And Jesus experienced such excruciating pain on the cross, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, as he was separated from God. He did that so that we can know the endless peace of being reconciled with God the Father. And this is, and was, it's the only way that we can be reconciled to God. And it began with the birth of a baby boy in a manger 
in Bethlehem. And the announcement from those angels of good news that will cause great joy for all the people. When the angels sang out, they were declaring that Jesus, this little boy in the manger, that he was the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, who's going to usher in God's kingdom of peace, his shalom that the prophets had foretold. And we read on a little later in Luke chapter 2, and we find the story of Simeon. And this is from um, verses 25 to 35, uh, to 32, sorry, I I think I changed it. Um, So it says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he moved by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon's story and this praise that he gives God help us to see that this peace comes from God and is fulfilled through Jesus. So what do we know about this peace that Jesus uh, offers? Firstly, It's a peace that's rooted in reconciliation. It's not just that absence of conflict. It's primarily and most importantly, it brings reconciliation for us with God the Father. It restores that right relationship between us and the one who has made us, who formed us, who knows everything about us and loves us just the same. In Romans 5, 1 to 2, we read... Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And Colossians 1, 19-20 similarly states, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him... To, be, to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth, all things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So it's really clear that the cross brings um, that peace and that reconciliation through Jesus. So as our relationship with our Father is restored, not only do we receive peace of assurance of our salvation and our acceptance by God, but we also receive an inner peace and reconciliation deep in our souls that guards our hearts as our trust and our faith in him increases and the Holy Spirit deals with our insecurities and anxieties. As we know from Philippians 4, when we rejoice in the Lord and bring him every situation by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, he will give us his peace, which transcends all understanding And as a result, we're able to learn how to be content in any and every situation. And we've heard Sue and Andy, particularly these verses that have spoken to them over the years as well. 
And when we experience this shalom, we stop striving or trying to improve or justify ourselves. And we increasingly can just rest in um, dependency on God rather than on our fallible selves. And there's such a release and freedom when we do that. Remember, the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. As our insecurities um, within ourselves are dealt with, we can also begin to be reconciled with those around us, whether that's warring factions, individual relationships, or even class and racial divisions. According to the letter to the Ephesians, that that dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed, and God has created one new humanity, the church, to reconcile both Jew and Gentile to himself. In Galatians 3, Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. And as we begin to experience greater peace in our relationship with those around us, we can also begin to see a reconciliation and a restoration in our relationship with creation that we were created to back right then in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were first created before the fall. They were called to steward, to cultivate, to look after God's creation. And in the new earth, when Jesus comes again, we're told in Isaiah 11 that there will be reconciliation between the animals. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. And in Isaiah 32, we read of the restoration and shalom that is in the land of God's kingdom. Till the spirit is poured out on us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile land. Sorry, a fertile field. And the fertile field seems like a forest. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. And its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Now this peace is freely available to all of us if we want it. But it comes at a cost. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus paid the ultimate cost so that we might be reconciled and know this true peace. But we also need to pay a cost. In Luke 9, 23 to 24, we read Jesus saying, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And in Proverbs 3, um, verses 5 to 6, uh, we read, um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. We need to learn to surrender ourselves, our preferences, our dreams, 
before him and seek to follow Jesus. Something which I personally know is hard, but when we stop struggling and we learn to submit, I've certainly found a deep sense of peace that on the surface just doesn't make any sense. We all struggle in different areas of our lives. We all experience a sense of frustration or discontentment um, to a greater or lesser extent. And I'm not talking about a kind of righteous anger that when we see injustice or oppression, um, but I'm rather talking about that tension that comes when we put our own longings, our own dreams, our own desires ahead of our relationship with God, or when we put our own plans ahead of trusting in him and in his ways. Now, Mike and I long to have children, but as far, so far that doesn't seem to be something that God has for us right now. I have peace and trust in God's sovereign plans in this because he's healed me um, of all of the things that would physically make conceiving children hard. Um, So he's healed me of polycystic ovaries. He's healed me of hypothyroidism. And there's no physical reason why we can't conceive and have children. So as I see it, it's in God's hands. And although I was at peace with this in my mind, it wasn't until we were at David's tent in the summer um, that my head knowledge went to my heart and I was able to surrender those desires for children to him. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's easy and it doesn't mean that that doesn't hurt. But it does mean that my thought process has shifted. And I have a deeper sense of inner peace and trust that God's ways are higher than my ways. I found the promise in Isaiah 26 verses 3 to 4 to be true. It says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. And God himself is this source of peace. In Judges 6, 24, we see that one of God's names is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. The Old Testament anticipated and the New Testament confirmed that God's peace would be mediated through the Messiah. Peace with God comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at Christmas in particular, and again we had this reading last week in our carol service, um, from Isaiah chapter 9, this is a, a, a verse that we're very familiar with, but it confirms Jesus as the Prince of Peace. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on, forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In addition, John tells us that Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in Hebrews, we read how Jesus is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which also means the king of peace. So again, just reconfirming that Jesus is this prince of peace, this king of peace. And at the moment, um, we live in this kind of in-between time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We live in the, la- the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And so we get to enjoy this peace um, in part now, but there will be a day where we get to enjoy it in its totality. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. Um, the third thing I wanted to say about peace um, is... Uh, oh, thank you, guys. You're, um, you're on it with the, with the verses. Um, the third thing I wanted to say about peace is... Um, that it's not something that's passive, but actually there's an active responsibility on our part to do something as well. In 1 Peter 3, um, 11, we're told that we must turn from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. It must therefore be that while peace is a gift from God, it's also something that we need to actively seek and pursue in our lives. We're called to live at peace with one another, And in Ephesians 6, when we put on that armor of God, we put on the gospel of peace on our feet. We're to take that gospel of peace out to those around us. And in James 3.18, we're told, uh, sorry, 17 to 18, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So we're therefore called to be peacemakers, to sow peace into our communities. We've been praying for our communities this morning. Wherever God's placed us, whether that's our local neighborhoods, work, school, hobbies that we've got, whatever it might be, we're there and we can bring um, peace, God's peace, into those areas. And the fourth thing I wanted to say about this peace is that it's a peace that is not dependent upon our circumstances. <laughs> um, we've all got different circumstances going on in our lives. We've heard from Archie and, and Jill this morning what's going on in their lives. Um, we've been praying into our nation and kind of um, the political kind of changes that are going on there and the uncertainty that there is. Um, whatever our lives, whatever we're going through in our lives, um, what are your expectations for peace in your life? What does peace look like in a stressful and a busy world? Do you think that it sounds, you know, this sounds like a great idea, but in all honesty, what you're thinking is, Joe, you just don't know what's going on in my life. If only you knew what I was going through, you'd know that peace is just not possible. But before we dismiss this, Let's just remember the context in which the original people that were hearing this were hearing it in. They were under occupation by an invading army. And not just any invading army, but the Roman Empire, which was notorious in its cruelty and its oppression, particularly as Christianity spread through the Roman world. If if the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, could be brought into that situation, I believe that it can be brought into your situation as well. 
And this is just a minor example, okay? But for me, as I was writing this message, um, I was preparing to fly to Dublin to attend the unexpected funeral of my 101-year-old great-aunt. She was one month off her 102nd birthday. Um, And this was less than three weeks after her brother died. So my granddad's in the middle. She was the oldest, and um, uh, Robert was the the youngest. And... um, So that was going on. Our living room floor, for those of you who don't know, we're having some work done in our house. Our living room floor has been taken up to be replaced with new flooring. Um, All of our belongings that were in our living room and our dining room are kind of all over every single space that there is in the rest of the house. Um, Our boiler had failed its service and was in need of replacing. Um, And then obviously we'd heard, heard the news of Anne being rushed to hospital. And I'm not complaining about any of those things. And in all of those things, there are things to be thankful to God for, absolutely. But what I'm saying was, as I was trying to write this message, my head um, and and my circumstances were definitely not feeling peaceful and calm. Um, And yet, as I brought it to the Lord in prayer, I felt a peace in my heart. And so while my mind was worrying about all these different things, um, there was a peace that comes from the deep trust in the Lord. Trust that this is his message and he's got something to say. And I just needed to be his vessel to be able to get it out this morning. Um, So, um, yeah, even when the circumstances look less than ideal, he brings peace into that when we let him. It comes from shifting our eyes and our focus off of our circumstances and back onto him. Um, off what seems humanly possible and onto the rock, the victory um, of our King Jesus and his love for us. And that goes to the song that Rachel picked out earlier, that, that song from Bethel really speaks into that as we sing and we worship um, those, those words. So just to wrap up, I just wanted to think about how can we respond to this? Um, how do we respond to this peace that Jesus is offering us today? I've got six ideas. Um, there are many others. Um, these were just six to get us thinking. Um, I'm just going to... W- I don't have a lot to say on each of them, um, but we'll just whiz through them. So the first thing, resurrection, is that point of lifting our eyes up onto what Jesus has done, to meditate upon the truth of the gospel um, and the promises of God in his scripture. Let's remind ourselves of what he's achieved for us, of his power and his victory. Secondly, remember. Remembering stories of faith, both in our own lives, as we look back on those, of those around us in this church, um, just builds our expectations and our belief of what he can do in our lives. We rejoice, as we're told in Philippians, um, with thanksgiving, with praise, with adoration, and in worship. Um, Again, just rejoicing for who he is um, in our lives. And request, we're told again in Philippians to bring our requests to him, not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So there are requests, we can be specific, we can come to God with these things. Rest. We can rest in his presence and in his word. We can enjoy spiritual, physical, emotional restoration, renewal and refreshment. And maybe um, you do this in a way that you enjoy. Maybe that's um, taking time out to walk or to run, to sing or to write. Whatever it is that God's put in you, that you kind of get that um, wholeness, that refreshment, that renewal. Um, make sure you take time out to do that. And then reconcile, reconciliation. Um, we need to humbly come before God, um, seeking 
His forgiveness, the forgiveness of others where we've hurt others, but also we need to be willing to forgive those around us um, with mercy and grace, those that have hurt us, um, whether intentionally or not. And so I just wanted to um, end with these words um, from Jeremiah um, chapter 6, verse 16. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. So my question for you is, are you prepared to walk in the paths that God leads you on? Or are you in conflict with him on that? Now, if you're here today and you know that the Lord's been speaking to you as as we've been talking, as we've been spending time earlier praying and singing, maybe he's been nudging you to pursue peace, to pursue reconciliation. Please don't leave here today without getting prayer. Either you can come to the front or kind of just chat to the people that are next to you and ask for prayer. We're going to sing some songs of worship. um, And in that time, it would be great. Just I don't want anyone to go home today without receiving prayer for these things. It might be um, reconciliation with God. It might be reconciliation with others. Or it might be just that you have such a desire for this inner, deep inner peace um, and you'd love prayer for that. And I believe that God wants to meet you in that place today and to pour out his peace upon you. And before we do that, before we, we sing and, and we pray together, um, I just want us to speak out um, blessings of peace to each other. Um, there's going to be some words that come up from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. It would be great if we could stand up, if we could read all of that together out loud. And then what I'd love is you just to kind of, maybe it's on your tables, maybe it's going to find a few other people, and just praying that, those words over each other, blessing one another. Um, and then um, if the band could just lead us into a time of, of worship from that and prayer, um, that would be great. So shall we, shall we say this together? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So just go around, find some people and just say those words over each other.